0: I'm WFE's David Borax, and this is R&D in the QC. Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston, one Republican and one Democrat who bonded as first-term Charlotte City Council members. Somehow, they both got re-elected, and now we're stuck listening to another season of this Amateur Hour bullshit. In the first 82 episodes, they talked to a governor, a senator, presidential candidates, and even a journalist or two. Their goal again this season? Bringing Charlotte listeners behind the scenes of the City Council in one of America's fastest-growing cities. I won't be listening, but for some reason, you are. It's episode 99 of R&D in the QC, and Larkin and I will discuss the UNC Charlotte anniversary, RNC and and affordable housing votes, and COVID updates. We're back at you right now. It's me. It's Coach Rule. We're here to, uh, to uh, definitely talk about some things. On episode ninety nine, what do you say, Larkin?
1: You made the coach rule joke last night during the music everywhere CLT um, town hall, and I was looking at the sea of faces, and there were only like two smiles. It's I'm an, not sure. You know I'm, I'm not into, sure
0: that into I'm Not sure that crowd
1: is, is a good NFL. Uh, I trust the NFL joke audience you're looking for.
0: Nobody knows who Coach Rule is yet, but they, they will when he turns Larkin. the
1: team around.
0: That's and the the similarities are just really astounding. Astounding.
1: Well, and give him a year, you know, trying to turn around a, a franchise who lost its four most notable players and uh, and he'll have as many grays in his beard as I do.
0: Just like you're trying to turn around uh, a city government.
1: There you go. Um, so we got a lot to cover and we've got a, a very little bit of time. So for folks that are watching this live, um, we want to first acknowledge the fact that it is the one-year anniversary of the shooting on the campus of UNC Charlotte. i am got my green on today, rocking my Niner Nation Unites pin. And if you are watching this live at 5.10 p.m., and that's why we're going to be on a hard stop for like 5.05, 05. at 5.10 p.m. on UNC Charlotte's Facebook, and I'm sure their website and others, um, other platforms of theirs, they're going to be doing a Niner Nation uh, memorial event, obviously virtual. And um, and it will be a remembrance. There was going to obviously be uh, in-person events to raise money and remember um, Reed and Riley first and foremost, who were lost that day. But also, uh, all the students were injured, all the students and faculty and UNC Charlotte family who uh, will forever bear the emotional scars of that day. Um, you know, it's, it's I've got a vivid memory. And I posted about it this morning about how I was landing in Washington D.C., headed up to a conference to represent the city. And as I landed, my phone started buzzing with all these alerts, and um, it was just kind of surreal. For as many times as that has happened, it's it's obviously entirely different when it happens in your city. And um, so, you know, all all the love going out to the UNC Charlotte family um, today. They had a, a a positive thing earlier this week, they announced their new president uh, who's coming from the University of Toledo. She seems immensely qualified and very impressive. Look forward to meeting her, but then a, a somber day today uh, on the campus and in, in the community for UNC Charlotte.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's, it's, it's hard to imagine that a year, in one way, it's hard to imagine it's been a year. In another way, it feels like it was just like a, a day ago, right? So, I, you know, it's, but that was a, such a sad day. And for those those, those lives lost, brutal. Um, You know, that picture, I I saw it again this morning, that picture of Riley, just, it's an amazing picture and it makes you wonder, uh, you know, what, what that, that young man would have become um, such a tragic loss. And, uh, but also reminds us the uh, first responders and those pictures of them running into the danger. So uh, it's a great day, even though we're in the middle of a new crisis and, and everything, um, to reflect back on um, the tragedy and also the, the bravery of, of, the, of that terrible
1: day a year ago. Yeah. Um, so that'll be at five ten. So as soon as you're done watching this flip over to UNC Charles Facebook channel and join them for that remembrance. Um, I'm sure it will be, uh, it will be very heavy uh, and emotional, but I think it will be worth your time. And I think that the more people that are there showing support to them, um, you know, the, the, I think that'll mean a lot to them. So, Mm. um, so we had, it is Thursday now we had a meeting on Monday. Mm. Um, it was a business meeting that had two or three juicy items and then a bunch of, um, just things, you know, despite all of what's going on with the coronavirus, there is still things that have to take place stuff to move forward with projects. We've had to approve a lot of real estate transactions. Um, But the two big-ticket items, and I was really disappointed, frankly, that they were on the same agenda because uh, the one we'll talk about second is all the affordable housing uh, dollars that we allocated from our housing trust fund for nine different projects uh, throughout our community, uh, four of which are in my district I'm really excited about. I wish that had been the lead story on uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning. It wasn't. So, um, why don't you tee up what was, we had two RNC votes, one that really was, was not uh, contentious. It was just around issuing permits and things, allowing the manager to do that. The, yeah, other was the, the, first, one.
0: the first one I texted, I was like, this seems to be going well. And you were like,
1: Oh, this isn't, this isn't the one. <laughs> uh,
0: it, I, I think I'll just say what probably you're thinking as well. A lot of our colleagues are very lucky that we didn't record episode 99 a couple days ago um, because it, I cannot tell you how annoying it was to sit there when we are all literally, and I, I'm not going to take away from anyone. Everyone's working very hard right now. I know. Um, but right now when we're at ground zero for small business and literally like we're wasting time, we haven't got policy decisions that figured out yet that are, should be already figured out weeks ago. We haven't released guidance to these small businesses and other businesses who need to know what do I anticipate what do I get ready for when business reopens in a couple of weeks or whenever that might be like I need to innovate now and instead of spending our time doing that we're spending our time uh, relitigating stuff on a on on a platform that isn't even relevant and the punchline is while the first of two votes you mentioned was pretty simple it was you know, that we are going to have, the, give the manager authority, I don't even remember exact wording of it, but give the manager the authority uh, to be able to align free speech, protest capabilities and rights to make sure that anyone who attends is safe and has their constitutional rights there and everything of something of that nature. I, it was so innocuous and something that we needed to do anyway. Uh, it was completely overshadowed by item two, which was to accept or not accept a $50 million grant from the feds for security that every city ever that hosts one of these things gets something like that.
1: And that's, that's one of the keys is the first vote and the second vote and everything else we've done um, leading up to whatever this convention ends up looking like. And that's also an important point is this convention is undoubtedly going to be impacted by the fact that we're going through this coronavirus um, crisis right now it's going to be different than it would have been. We don't know how it's going to be different. We don't know if it's going to be canceled and all digital. We don't know if it's going to be, it's unlikely that it will be you know, a full-fledged convention like a normal one would. However, we don't know yet exactly what that's going to look like. And Governor Cooper and DHHS Secretary Cohen and uh, Mecklenburg County Public Health Director Debbie Harris they're the ones with the authority to make the decision about what's appropriate, what's safe, and what's going to be allowed, and they'll make those decisions um, as the time comes. Everything we've done here, you know, some people were saying, "Well, why isn't Trump paying for the convention security?" Well, that's just not how this, these work. Everything we've done here is the same way that we did it in 2012 for the DNC, the same way that conventions have been handled now for decades, and so. These security grants are a, a normal part of this process. The federal government allocates those dollars for both major party dimensions to help uh, cover the cost of security. And if we had voted it down, city tax dollars. Now, the point was made that well, tax dollars are tax dollars to some extent. However, the average Charlotte taxpayer will oh, a that lot that less skin in the, the game. <laughs> has a lot less skin in the game on 50 million dollars coming from the federal government. And they do $50 million coming entirely from Charlotte's coffers. Let and we that. already know there's going to be a huge revenue shortfall because of the, the how much lower the sales tax revenue is going to be because of the coronavirus. So in a budget where we already know, not only is there not going to be any new stuff going in there, we might have to cut some of the stuff we already have for us to potentially risk another $50 million obligation uh, that we could have covered by the federal government is literally the definition of shooting yourself in the foot. And it just was, it was frustratingly politicized. And I understand and I respect the people who don't agree with the decision we made to have the commission in the first place. That is an entirely acceptable stance, an entirely acceptable point. And if people want to say that, they still think we did the wrong thing. I will accept that argument. There isn't a logical argument against accepting a federal security grant now that the ship has sailed on whether or not we approved the convention two years ago.
0: Let me simply, let me simplify this in the most simple terms I possibly can say it. There was no decision here to be made. It was a rubber stamp. The decision was already made a while ago, we are contractually obligated to go forth unless circumstances change that are out of the control of where we are right now. And this was saying, we're going to either accept this as is planned and is customary and pay for it with the federal dollars that are there. It doesn't matter. They're all our dollars. They stole them from all of us, right? That's how that works. Um, Or we're not, and we're going to be on the hook for $50 million out of our general fund, which would be debilitating. So that's the premise. For those people that fought against this, spoke against this, wasted time against this, there are only two options. Well, maybe three, but let's say there's only two options for why they did that. Option one, and this is probably where many of them were. Uh, in reality, was they were just against the RNC, and whether they voted against it the first time or they weren't with us at that time, and they wish they had. They were using this time and other excuses to be against the RNC when that wasn't the time for it. Hold on, and then two. Let's let me give a couple of them the benefit of the doubt. And the benefit of the doubt is that they're saying, well, times have changed, and this is a health and safety issue, and no one's talking about it, and therefore, we're going to force this conversation now. So I'm not saying everyone that was there it deserves to be in that bucket, but I'll give a couple of them. I don't not even say who they are. I don't know who they are. The benefit of the doubt that that's the case. Here's why that is also the most stupid thing in the world, and that is because now wouldn't be the time to do that if they truly believe that they accept that money because that only hurts taxpayers locally here and then they go and try to get a coalition built and vote tomorrow to say things have changed we're going to do a new ordinance or some new thing and break the contract like don't cut
1: off and a that's not even the way that would go down the, the quick the quick points on that are the acceptance or the uh, rejection of the security grant in no way it was going to impact whether or not the convention takes place here and in what form it takes place. Uh, two, you could very much have been against the convention two years ago and understand the logic behind accepting the security grant, just like Malcolm Graham did. Malcolm you Graham said I was yeah. against
0: it then, but I'm not going to risk right. something dumb to prove that point on a soapbox for the-, the He was. The he was as adamantly
1: against the convention as anyone, though he wasn't on council last term. He- campaign saying that he would have voted no for the convention, but he understood why a yes vote was necessary on Monday. And thankfully so, because, uh, he was the sixth vote. And otherwise we would have rejected this. I think anybody who wants, um, and this is not someone who would be deemed by anybody to be a conservative political pundit. Um, Greg LaCour, who's a great writer for Charlotte magazine. If anybody's wondering, um, this is a guy who probably considers himself pretty progressive, and is certainly no fan of the RNC, and in fact was a critic, a critic of our decision to bring the RNC here. Uh, and yet he understood what we were voting on Monday and wrote a, you a really, I think, uh, well-written opinion article on, again, calling out the fact that he didn't like our decision to bring the RNC here, but saying the game that was being played Monday night with the security grant was dangerous and reckless. And so we're, we're going to be running late on time. So I say we move on from that. Go read Greg LaCour's article if you want to know more. It's on Charlotte Magazine's website. No, I want to
0: talk more about it, Larkin.
1: Um, What should have been the lead story the next day was the fact that we approved nine affordable housing projects on Monday um, for a grand total of $18.9 million from our housing trust fund, the one that we put on the ballot uh, two years ago and asked the citizens of Charlotte to up from a $15 million affordable housing bond to $50 million. We'll be doing another $50 million on the next bond cycle, hopefully. Uh, but we approved nine, uh, four in my district that I'm really excited about. Uh, but there's a couple of things that I'll point out here real quick. One, uh, in terms of best practices and how we're doing things a little differently. One of them is a rehab project over at Delahaye Courts, which is up between like North Tryon. It's in the north end. It's in Graham Heights, not too far from Camp North end. The thing that's really cool here is these were very dilapidated apartments. Only about half of them are occupied right now. So what we're doing is everyone has been moved into one side of the street, essentially, um, and no one had to be displaced. They're renovating the first phase. They'll move all those residents into the renovated ones, and then they'll renovate the second phase. So we're sort of playing musical chairs with um, with these units there so that all of the people who are there now We'll be able to stay there in these renovated and improved units, which I think is important because we talk about social capital in terms of upper mobility, the importance of that, and that can't be built or or retained if we're if we're moving people around to try to find them their affordable housing. We need to keep them in that um, network, that community that they've they've built and that they rely on. Another thing we're doing is a 341 unit um, NOAA Naturally Occurring Affordable Housing Project over in Windsor Park. Um, this is going to be awesome. There's going to be a lot of wraparound services there. Um, and then the other one I'm really excited about, I'm excited about all of them, but the other one that I'm really uh, specifically excited about is the Statesville Avenue location of the men's shelter. Right now they have got, um, a facility and, and some of the shortcomings of that facility are very much on display right now because of the coronavirus crisis. There's not the opportunity to give anyone any space or privacy or uh, separation. Uh, this will be, build a new facility on that site with 194 shelter beds. Um, They'll be able to retain the old building potentially as an emergency overflow uh, and for some operational uses. Um, So Men's Shelter of Charlotte is gonna be greatly expanding their capacity and their ability to serve folks experiencing homelessness in our city um, with this donation that we've made helping to to get them over the hump to, to build this new facility. So a lot of good news in those nine projects. And we also, a lot of people have read about Brook Hill. We also have, have challenged staff to continue working with those developers, find a solution. We all want to see Brook Hill come to fruition. Uh, it wasn't quite ready for prime time yet, but there was not a time deadline on that. There wasn't some of these others. We've told Brook them to go back to the drawing board, keep working on it.
0: We've never tried to compress ourselves into this time frame. Do you think Brook Hill makes it through or not?
1: Not in the form it was
0: presented I mean, to us I mean, in of course not but i'm but okay I'm so yes that. yes i, I do you think it gets there
1: yeah uh, i think there's enough i think there's enough community will i think that it is i think it's just, i think it's just an important enough project that that there are people involved i mean our friend ray mckinnon's involved i mean there's so many people that oh, i know have so much
0: i've gotten to so much time people. yeah
1: so much time energy um invested in this project and And Tom Henderson, the guy who's kind of pulling everybody together on it, was able to unstick what was the sticking point for so long, which was this odd land deal um, where one group owned the land and another group owned the buildings. And it's just been such a cluster. He's kind of gotten to the point now where you can see light at the end of the tunnel, and I don't think people are going to want to miss that opportunity. I think we'll find a way to get it done.
0: I wonder if, if aside from the, the cost elements of it, which could be bypassed, if the, the different parties can figure out a way to come together and the financing and some of the other things that we've heard indications are challenged um, also um, uh, gets, gets, you know, the green light. We'll see.
1: Um, what do you got on updates for coronavirus stuff? We've got to talk a little bit about the, um, the small business it opens on Monday, right? For
0: businesses with less than five five employees. Uh, is the Monday the eighth? Well, so I thought it, Mecklenburg I thought it opened on Monday. because of the Matthews or whatever it was decision made, the the entire Mecklenburg's order today, I believe, I'm losing track of days, has now expired and is no longer there, and we fall under Governor Cooper's approach, which is the multi phased thing or whatever. So right now, I think it's tracking towards the eighth. We're having a ton of conversations with small businesses, large businesses. Um, people are sharing best practices. Right now, there's two big questions on everyone's mind. One is, is that date gonna be extended and what are some more details around it? And then what is, is in the phases and who can do what? But I think the biggest question that I keep pushing on and there's no time for it today is there are gonna be requirements. There are going to be things that you have to do that are mandated that are the new rules of the road for each phase. And no one has even started talking about them publicly. And from what I understand, there's not been a lot of private talk about them either. So that's got to happen. Here's
1: here's the, um, so accept, begin accepting applications for the micro business relief fund at noon on May 4th. That is Monday. The fund will provide up to $10,000 to 100 businesses with five or fewer employees. Um, So that was part of our economic relief package that, um, we worked on it as a full council, but then also may you the and Julian Smudgy and others have been favorite. working on it in the testing. What's that? It
0: said may the odds ever be in your favor. One hundred small businesses of of seven or eight thousand.
1: Well, and again, there's there's a focus on certain um, underinvested corridors, uh, businesses in those corridors, and, and it is narrow. And, and we've heard complaints about the narrowness of, of being eligible for this program. But again when we know that there's a limited pool of funds and we're likely, no matter how much we narrow the qualifications and the criteria, still not going to be able to fund everybody who's eligible, um, you do have to make it very laser focused. And so, uh, you know, our friends down in Raleigh are back in session as of, uh, what, two days ago now? So they're working somewhat combination of in-person and, um, and digital, um, remote, and so I know they're passing some stuff too. So again, this is a this is not one body or one branch of government is going to solve all this. But with our state government back up and running uh, and in session again, I know there's there's programs coming from them as well. So hopefully, everybody is working hand in hand and all these things uh, align so that we're not stepping on each other's toes. We're not creating redundant programs. but We're doing things that are complementary and and are closing the gaps that. That we might leave, or if the county might leave, or the state, or the federal government might leave. That the next organization can um, can can identify that gap and fill it with a different program or opportunity. So,
0: buddy, you and I have some big decisions to make over the next week because this was episode ninety-nine.
1: It was so actually we jump to
0: let, one, one, one. Do we do something? I mean, a, ninety-nine. Let's
1: crowdsource. Let's crowdsource and say for everybody watching or listening, tweet us or or send us a Facebook message with your ideas. We had planned to do some big in-person live event for our hundredth episode. Obviously, that's not going to happen now. So, uh, using this platform, using Zoom, and having to do this remotely, what are the cool things we could do? Who, what special guests would you like to hear from? What topics should we cover? Um, how can we do a hundredth episode and do it right, even though we can't be uh, together with you in person? Or do you know we skip ideas. it?
0: Or do we skip it? Go right to 101, and then when all this is said and done, you and me, we get a place together. You know, we get back close again, and then we do that thing live. Pack them in six feet apart. We're going to need to do it at Panther Stadium, Coach.
1: I'll see what I can do. All right. Well, it is 5.02, so we want to let people go. Like I said, please jump over to the UNC Charlotte Facebook page. Um, We we definitely did not want to run over into – what they've got going on. And certainly we want to be, uh, we want to be able to connect with that as well. So go and join in on their remembrance of um, the tragic events of a year ago and um, keep them in your, in your thoughts tonight and uh, get back to us. What can we do for the, uh, for the century episode? One Hondo. Shortest episode ever.
0: Man, it felt rushed. It probably still, when we go back and look at it was like an hour and a half, but Good job. You kept all your blabbering down to a very minimum. It was 23 minutes. Most enjoyable episode ever.
1: That I might agree on.
0: 99 in the books. Peace.